0: Ladies and gentlemen, it's Fort Worth Camera, our podcast. After taking a small hiatus, we are back with our very, very special guest. And I do mean that because it's a great honor to welcome Moose Peterson. How are you?
1: Thank you, Mackenzie. It's good to be here. I'm doing great. You
0: have a good voice for radio. This is good. <laughs> I can feel it. Um, I have known you, known of you, never met you before. So it's kind of a privilege to actually sit down and talk with you. But um, I knew of you through um, hanging out in Northern California, although I'm trying to figure out where exactly you would consider yourself living in Northern California. It's not Northern California at all. It's,
1: no, uh, where I live, everybody's, it's, not, it, people say Southern California if you come yeah, from yeah, the yeah. South, Northern if from the North, uh, Central doesn't, Everybody doesn't work as Central Valley. So that's why we're kind of in the boonies. And uh, we consider ourselves Hicks, those who live on the east side because it's, it's – uh, we actually – a lot of us don't even say we come from California because it doesn't describe where we live very well. People get these weird ideas that where I live is, is on a side of a volcano that's you know, over 11,000 foot high, and they go, California? That's and, true. Yeah, people don't realize that. But
0: just down the road, it's the desert.
1: Just, just an hour Literally. away is the lowest place in North America. And I live on a volcano that in my house is literally 8,200 feet in elevation.
0: Okay, so let me clarify for the listening audience. Moose, you live in Mammoth
1: Lakes, California. Mammoth Lakes, California. God's country, yeah. It is
0: God's country. A lot of people don't realize what California actually looks like in the eastern Sierras. And I do want to talk about that because anyone that knows anything about the history of photography knows that a whole lot of photography has taken place in some very famous landmarks in your neighborhood it's made
1: for black and white so for i mean it's made for black and white photography you gotta realize that all the original not all but the vast majority of the original cowboy movies a lot of them were shot on the east side because of the varying uh topography and it lends itself to black and white you've got some of the great black and white still masters like ansel adams Ah, okay he cut his teeth on the east side um east side Photographically, it's got this very rich heritage, uh, which it's just amazing to me how few people realize that's there. Um, When we do workshops on the east side, it's really hard to get people to understand what is there, especially when uh, they hear the word California. Instantly, the vastness uh, doesn't come to mind. The one reason I love Mammoth is because every night when I go out, I see gazillion stars. You know, we're in a town where my wife and I were very proud. We actually got a law passed, so we have dark skies. Everybody has to can their lights so yeah. light doesn't go up in the heavens. Because at night, I see the Milky Way. Every night it's out and there's no clouds, I see the Milky Way. So it's a part of California people have no idea it exists. What's neat about
0: the neat that doesn't even begin to describe it what is absolutely astounding and fascinating about the eastern sierra of california is that that is truly the epicenter of photographic history uh down the road from you in bishop is uh was the home to a very famous photographer galen rowell Mm -hmm. rest in peace his gallery
1: is still there yeah morning light is what it's called um I, it's in the old I, bank building. I don't I believe, know. I believe
0: it's called Morning Light Studios. Um, or, well, anyway, if you're listening to us on, uh, on iTunes, you can actually comment on this and, and correct us. But you have that. You have the Alabama Hills. You have Death Valley. You have Whitney Portal, Mount Whitney itself. Um, Mono Lake. Oh, man. Bodie. Of course, Yosemite. There's even an area called the Kodachrome Wilderness. That's correct. How much time have you spent there in the Kodachrome wilderness?
1: Well, when I was younger, um, I did about 500 miles a year on the backcountry with my dad. Wow! So all of the Eastern Sierra's inside, I did many times. Did the John Muir many times. So that was that was a big part of you know my and my influence still today was back there in what Muir would call the range of light.
0: Yeah, I could go on and on. Of course, we're in Texas right now. Welcome to Fort Worth,
1: by the way. Thank you. Have you been here before? I have not been to Fort Worth, been to Texas many times, but not—Fort Worth, I think, is, we're trying to figure this out yesterday. I think I went through here one storm chasing, and that's it. Oh.
0: Well, I can go on and on about what's so great about <laughs> the eastern side of the uh, Sierras in California because— Well,
1: considering California. it's flat here, yeah, anything yeah. where I'm at with all these the, the peaks, yeah, there's quite a contrast.
0: Maybe we'll circle back to more about the eastern side of the, the Sierras. Have you do any time you want? Yeah. I, I know I could go on and on because I'm from California. And I think northern Californians and southern Californias want to claim that area. But uh, it's definitely another world. It's uh, – what did I say earlier? It's the most impressively positive, spooky area where you have the highest point in the lower 48 and the lowest point in, like, the western hemisphere? Yep. No, yes. It? Yeah. Bad water in, in Death Valley. And right. They're only about how many miles apart? Not far.
1: Um, as a crow flies? Yeah. Just over sixty.
0: Yeah. Exactly. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, that
1: that puts your uh,
0: head upside down. Um, but while you're here, let's discuss why you're here. Because although Moose Peterson is uh, a world-renowned wildlife photographer, and you can see all of his images at where on
1: Instagram. MoosePeterson.com is the website, Instagram is Moose Peterson, Facebook is Moose Peterson, Twitter is Moose Peterson. Moose
0: Peterson, of course, being a Nikon ambassador, um, you're the second Nikon ambassador we've had on this show, Dixie Dixing being the other. But while you're here in Fort Worth, let's discuss why you're here. We are discussing aviation and air show photography. We are. How would you get into aviation photography and make that such a a niche portion of your uh, career?
1: Well, you know, it's kind of like any part of what... I do as a photographer. It was never really my like. I didn't wake up on morning and say I'm gonna go do this. It's just the way life and you know evolved for me. I've been very fortunate in that. Um, back in the when the D3 first came out, Ooh, okay. okay, so that's 11 years ago. Nikon was just beginning to uh, sponsor, be a sponsor at the Reno Air Races. And uh, the guy who was running, is a good friend of mine, and we were having breakfast one morning. He told me that, and I said, hey. I said, I'll tell you what. If you just, you know, give me in to shoot the races, I'll come up and volunteer my time. And he said, okay, we can do that because you can come up and talk about the D3 and autofocus. Shout out to Gordon's camera in Reno, by the way.
0: <laughs> and, uh, and Action Camera, are good friends in Reno as well.
1: Come yep. On. So um, that's how I went to the Reno Air Races. And... Shooting with a D three and a five hundred millimeter lens, handheld, photographing the planes going by. It's not a whole lot different than photographing birds on the wing. Mm. I happen to get an incredibly lucky shot of a tack sharp of Strega with the prop blurred because I was using a very slow shutter speed. Of who now? Strega. Who's that? Strega is a very heavily modified P fifty one D Mustang that's cruising around about four hundred and fifty miles an hour. That's pretty fast, isn't it? That's pretty fast. Okay. So yeah. Okay. So I got the shot, it became the poster, uh, and that's pretty much how I got into it. Now, when it came to uh, aircraft, uh, my father was in a B-29 during World War II and Korea. So going to air shows as a kid is what I did, and, and, and knowing planes is what I did, but actually making it into something that was a, um, a paying part of the business was never a plan. It just unfolded. So it just happened to marry a number of my passions and for me, aviation is really no more than a combination of wildlife and landscape photography it's the same basics, except for I'm just working with industrial art rather than natural art.
0: It's funny you say industrial art and I got to write that down industrial art because same can be said for cars that's industrial art. but what drew me to your images beyond just being into airplanes because I am um, They look like they're paintings. That's what I pull away from it, especially there's one of a B-24? What's the Liberator? ab B-24. B-24. Okay. There's one of those pictures I saw that you shot, and it looks like it's an oil painting of something you see, a scene out of World War II. How much does, and the reason I want to get into this is because a lot of people are thinking only of, freezing motion, displaying motion in their photography. I see a lot of color in your, your work. Is that something that is going through your mind?
1: Well, so I've always been well-known for my color and my sharpness. That's not abnormal, normal, but you, so I guess the first thing photographers tend to forget when they go after something, it's all about light. I mean, the word photograph means riding with light. It means if you're a visual storyteller, which we are as photographers, Light is your main way of moving the viewer to see the story. So for myself, when it comes to aircraft, light is essential. And then I move the eye through the frame using light and color. And then being a real history buff, I really love history. I'm incorporating that into the photograph as much as I can. So just a plane uh, against the blue sky, to me, I don't usually even take that photograph. Unless it's the first time I've ever seen that aircraft and I want to get a record shot, I won't even take that picture because there's no story going on. The plane's not even moving because we're we're working with a moving object, but we're freezing it with still photography. So you have to have that emotion implied, and that motion can only be applied if there's something in reference in that scene, as well as the light. So all those things have to go through. So I appreciate you know the kind words and, and that you you know you got that from my photograph. That means as a communicator, I was being somewhat successful in reaching out and grabbing your heartstrings, because otherwise, it's a warbird. I mean, it it was made to kill people. So, you know, getting people past that and understand all that went on to the people in there because like the plane you mentioned, you know, the number of crews from B-24s that we lost because we won the war working with a disposable attitude I want people to also remember that part of our history because we wouldn't be here talking about photography if those guys back then hadn't made the ultimate sacrifice.
0: I don't know if you're – that's awesome. I don't know if you're familiar with Fort Worth's
1: history in Mm -hmm. aviation, but there's quite a bit of it. Sure is. It made a lot of planes here, and uh, all of Texas was a huge training field, and most people don't realize when they they fly over that some of the bombing test ranges and practice fields – are still out there you can see them and you fly for example from um, houston and you make a kind of a almost direct shot towards the grand canyon there are three major bombing um test ranges where the guys would test their their bombardiers would get their skills they're still out there you can still see it really yep let's go i did it two years ago it's very cool
0: um, there's actually a neighborhood in Fort Worth, just not far from here, to the west, Bomber Heights, mm-hmm. and that was just you know on the southern end of the uh, the the airstrip at Carswell. I'm going to assume it was Carswell in World War Two. And again, if I'm wrong, my facts are not checked. You can comment on the on uh, uh, iTunes by all means. We at Fort Worth Camera incorporate photography and aviation, hence our participation at the Bell Helicopter Alliance Air Show. That is not a plug. However, you can view, listen and learn more at um, October 13th and 14th. But what practical skills can someone learn, not just from your upcoming workshop here, but thinking of photographing aviation be it static or on the ground and not moving or in flight we try to tell people that it's you're you're photographing moving objects and that same principle can be applied to shooting your kid running down the bases or whatever
1: or your pet or okay so many things yeah
0: what what do you say we talked about color we talked about light naturally speed or lack thereof what other things can someone look at Or achieve by looking at an aircraft and applying it to something else photographically.
1: Well, that's really, I mean, you bring up a great point because that's why some people really get into aviation and some people just don't want to because it's just a plane. So the the first important skill that you need as a photographer, no matter what you're doing or how you're doing it, is you have to have proper hand-holding because photographing anything moving, you have to be free-formed, which means you're not on a tripod majority of the time. So it starts with basic hand-holding. Then you have to learn how to pan correctly. So once you get those two basic skills down and you practice them, so most people work nine-to-five jobs, it's really important that they practice that Monday through Friday so when Saturday and Sunday comes, it's already kind of a, a second thing they can do by nature. They don't have to sit there and think about it. It's already part of them as a photographer. So then when they're out there shooting those aircraft or the cars or the dog running on the, on the, on the grass or the kid in the bicycle, whatever that is, then they start thinking about the, the storytelling, how, where the light is, where's the light playing off. the? Is it front lit, back lit? What's the background? Do I want to use a slow shutter speed to blur that background to show the speed? Or do I want to freeze it because the background's boring? So all those things have to go into it. But without those fundamentals built into your, your camera bag, hand-holding and panning, then it's hard to move on to the things of telling that story and moving things around. So with action
0: photography, be it air show or something, uh, shall we say, terrestrial, there is a muscle memory there is an actual physical movement that you need to employ into your photography.
1: Mm-hmm. Very much so. I mean the the one thing that comes for panning people try to pan with their arms and their move their shoulders. And that's totally wrong. You do it with your, you twist your trunk. So you're going to lock your arms, your shoulders gonna be locked in a position, and then you going to twist your trunk to sit there and follow that whatever you're moving because that's what's going to give you the smoothness. And that smoothness, which comes from muscle memory, is how you get a sharp photograph, especially at a slow shutter speed. Um, people see my photographs and they see that prop blur. Yeah. And they go, Oh, how'd you get that? I said, well, I just shoot at 20th a second. And they go, that, One over 20? And I said, Yeah, one over 20. And they said, And you're panning? So, Yeah. Well, how do you get it sharp? You just push the button. And they go, Well, I can't do that. I said, Do you practice? And they go, uh. That's right. They don't (laughs) practice, and that practice builds that muscle memory. And that muscle memory comes everything from your arms. So I have weights at my desk. I'm always lifting the the weights every day. When I'm on the road, I did it this morning. You know, I, I have my 180 to 400 with a D5 attached. I use that as a weight. So I practice every day. The camera's in my hand. And the other muscle memory that people don't think about that's just as important is rolling your finger on that shutter release. Uh, people like to jab that shutter release, take a picture, their, their fingers in the air, then they like smash it down like they're trying to kill a bug. And they need to roll their finger on that shutter release. And that rolling that finger so the camera body doesn't start moving and you don't cause a vibration, which things be out of focus. And that's all muscle memory that comes from practice, practice, practice.
0: I am writing so much down in terms of uh, tips and information. Most importantly, hashtag twist your trunk. Can we start?
1: Instit- 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 twist that one? your trunk, sure. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not in a hashtag, so go for the gusto. That was like a dance in the early yeah, 60s. Wasn't I'm not. It? There's the I'm twist. S- then there's the. I'm socially inept, so uh, you got me there. Okay yeah, okay, yeah, it's not my.
0: Um, I've and, got I've got two questions for you in 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 relation to just shooting. two. Cool. Well, yeah. Thanks. Let's start with prop blur is the biggest thing that people don't get by shooting an air show of propeller-driven aircraft, they always want to freeze the propeller in midair, but that, what does that do to a photograph?
1: Makes it look like you're a little kid with models hanging from your ceiling by string. There you go. Check. That answers my question. So, so propler, you have to have two things. First, well, three things. First, you have to have a prop-driven plane. So, if you're photographing a jet, what I'm about to <laughs> say is irrelevant, okay? <laughs> Believe it or not, people get confused, all right? So, you yeah. have to have a prop. Now, most people think just a slow shutter speed, okay, will do a propeller, but it's not enough. It becomes bright back down. We talked about earlier. Photography is about light. So the plane's not driving into the sun. You will never see propeller. So the back of a prop, like the cowling on most planes, is black. That way, reflected light's not bothering the the pilot. So you can see through a prop when you're the pilot because the backside of it's painted black. As it spins, you don't see it. I mean, there's a little, but you yeah. can't really. That's why it's not chrome, because then chrome would be blinding you. So the same thing as a photographer. If you want to see propler, the, the pilot, the plane, has to be driving towards the sun. So if you're between the sun and the plane, and the plane's coming at you, a slow shutter speed, you'll see propler. Otherwise, it's a useless technique. You, going down to 20 of a second will get you nothing. It's better to go to 125. Wow, that's a good tip. I never thought of that. Um, it's all about light. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, everything about this thing is all about light. Yeah,
0: that's what I hear about photography. Yeah. Um, now, is there such thing as a is too large of a focal length?
1: Too much lens? Yep. I've shot... Um, I, I know I've shot with my 800 with the 1.4, um, so hmm. it's 1,200 millimeter. It... Um, so there's a couple things going on here, right? you got to realize that the plane is, and we're talking about planes in mo- motion, right? So they're flying. If you want to photograph an aircraft with a longer lens, first thing is you have to be further back away because if they're close, they're going to go by so quickly, you can't physically keep up with them. So let's
0: put this into to play. You're at the Fort Worth Camera VIP Photo Chalet. Mm-hmm. Plug.
1: And you but, want, want the best lens for that event? Yeah, I mean, well, here's
0: the thing. You, you're, you're right on the, on the runway. You're right on the runway. So, so
1: 800 would be way too much. Yeah, so I'm thinking. Personally, I'd have something like a 7200 yep. or 8400. Um, so, planes make uh, a circuit, right? It's either going to be a, a racetrack or, or an orbit, right? Straight circle. Okay, they, they can't, they go out, they have to come back. Yeah. So, they have to make turns. That turn is also a photographic opportunity most photographers do not take advantage of because a plane going straight is kind of boring. It's just going straight. It's when it makes that bank that you get that gesture in the plane. You get that personality of the plane and the pilot especially because every pilot has a little uh, swag to them when they fly. You'll see that when they make that banking turn either in or out of that track going down the, the runway. So those turns are really where the photograph is, and that's where you want the longest possible focal length. That's why a zoom works so well. You can go back and forth pretty much wider, uh, for lack of better terms, when they're going straight down the runway, and then go back to longer when they're making that turn in and out of that pass.
0: At our event at the Air Show, we normally see people with large, large lenses, which is fine. But... You know, at this air show, I don't know what it's like to go to say Oshkosh or whatever, but you have a really intimate access to the performers and the static aircraft. So yeah, we tell people it's anywhere between the seventy-two hundred to an eighty to four hundred, but not really much more than that. What do you say to people that think that you need to have a tripod and a gimbal mount? I mean, do you? Is it really that necessary, or, or what are the benefits of that?
1: Well, that's why I love photographers, and that's why you have a camera store, because they always buy more stuff than they need, and they take more stuff than they, they ever could possibly need. Um, so the thing about the lens cutting right to the chase is that's how your personality as a storyteller is going to come through. All right? Um, if you want to have that long lens, then obviously you want to fill that frame with, with just part of the plane. You don't want to have the whole aircraft in there. And that's a definite style that you can choose. Uh, Personally, myself, I'm going to use the 180 or 400. That's what I had at Osh. That's what I'll have with me this weekend. That lens gives me the flexibility to do a lot of things from static work to ground to air work, which is is the kind of photography we're doing when we're sitting there at an air show.
0: A lot of your photography, aviation photography, is actually taken from the air.
1: Yeah, air to air work. Now...
0: I don't want to say, tell us about that, because that's such a bad question. But
1: No, people, people uh, f- first of all, have really weird misconceptions about air-to-air photography. Um, so happy to talk about how I do it. It's, so first of all, you have to, before you go in the air, before you ever do that, you have to spend a lot of time with statics. You have to understand the way a light plays on not just the fuselage, but on the background. Because in air air photography, you only have one chance at a background. You can never go back and redo it. It's never, ever the same. So we go up and we do what's called a brief, which is another way of saying the whole flight's being choreographed. So we know everything we're going to do from launch to recovery. We know wh- where the planes are going to be, launch and recovery, yes, takeoff and landing. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we know what we're going to do. We know how we're going to join up. We know what... Um, uh everything from what we're going to broadcast on on what radio channel we, we everything is talked about and we know we're going to do right bank left banks we're going to do a racetrack we're going to do an orbit we're going to go out to this point we know what the background um is going to be so to put this some specifics to it um last weekend i was up at hood river oregon yeah and uh my really good friend uh the pembertons were there they're the ones who brought the Boeing 40 back to life. Uh, Boeing 40 is a, a 1928 aircraft. Wow. Uh, why Boeing is around today as a passenger company uh, is because of the Boeing 40. So it's got historical uh, significance. And it's, uh, now the Boeing 40 lives at the Western Antique Airplane um, Museum. Wham! And I think I left out an A, but anyway. wham a Wham, yeah. So, um, Addison, the, the museum, wanted a picture of the Boeing 40 in front of Mount Hood, because oh. Mount Hood is right in their background. So, that was what the mission was. And and the one thing that I'm known for when it comes to air-to-air photography is, one, I get it done very quickly, um, because as soon as you start flying, not only is it, I hate to use the word dangerous, but... Um, the only place a plane can go when there's a problem is down and it's usually not a good, good ending. So messing around up there isn't really practical for a lot of reasons. Then two, um, the other thing I'm, I'm really known for is the fact that, uh, I'm shooting the entire time to get on site and then on the way back. So in this case, we photographed the plane doing a number of things. We choreographed, so it was below the aircraft, above the aircraft, so I got behind and in front. So I got many different angles of the Boeing 40. Then we, we did three circuits around Mount Hood. Um, and because of how I wanted to photograph this aircraft from 1928, it's, it's basically just fabric. There's no metal. It's all fabric. <laughs> so I wanted all that those contours of the fabric to come out. I, had to, I wanted to fly in a particular direction towards Mount Hood. So Mount Hood was in a certain place. The light on the aircraft was a certain place so that was all choreographed so we 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 knew the heading we're going to take as we did the flights with mount hood behind us and then i photographed coming back and they wanted to drag down the runway to photograph the museum behind the aircraft so all that was choreographed in the air to air um so people when they think of air to air they don't necessarily think about that it's it's photography and you're trying to control the situation as best you can because it's a photograph right we got to tell a story then you have all the stuff called flying, right, which has all the safety involved. And the fact that you're also, you know, you're on a, talking to a tower, you have other aircraft in the air, all that's going on as well. So there's a lot of moving parts. And some of the biggest crashes out there were actually air-to-air um, events. Probably the best known is when the Air Force was t- testing the Valkyrie. And when the Valkyrie went down and killed the pilot, it was an air-to-air photo mission that that caused all that. Whoa! So there is a lot, you know. There's a lot that goes on when it comes to aviation photography, right? I want to get people up there doing the air-to-airs. That's my end result and goal for everything I do, is because that's when you, as a photographer, the bug really bites because you're up there. The adrenaline's going. The photographs happen. But it only happens if you start on the ground, and especially at air shows. Um, at the air shows, a couple things are going to happen. One, planes don't always fly when it's the best light of the day. Um, the first thing you'll learn about aviation is pilots don't like getting up early. Okay? <laughs> they just, you know, um, I have some really good friends. They said, are you going to come up this weekend? And I said, I don't think I'm going to make it. And they go, good, because I want to sleep in because you always get me up so early not their thing so you have to learn how to use light and not what you think is the best lighting conditions two everybody can photograph aircraft there's it's it's open to anybody so that means if you want to stand out you've got to learn how to be what not better but perhaps a better storyteller how to use what's at hand to get the better photograph that means you have to do some research i know what makes that aircraft unique because all aircraft are different for certain reasons. It's the wing design. is the fuselage. What is it that makes that plane special? Okay? you got to do a little homework to make that happen. Then you have to figure out how you want to photograph it in the air. And that's where air shows are great. You learn ground-to-air photography. You, you get your techniques down pat. And then, before you get to air-to-air, the most important thing is you got to learn how you're going to share this stuff. And that's probably the one thing that most photographers have no clue and don't understand is that, These pilots, these plane owners, they have these million-dollar aircraft. And when they go home at night, they're in a big hangar at an airport. And they go home to their home, they're not with that one thing they love a lot, okay? It's parked somewhere. So how do they remember that aircraft? Mm. It's through our photographs. So most, you know, one way I tell people, they go, how would you get so far so quickly in aviation photography? And And I said, here's the thing. I give my pilots and plane owners prints, lots of prints big ass prints they go why big ass prints have you ever seen a hang a wall they're big ass walls so there's one guy of minnesota that has got 28 foot by 18 foot prints of mine three of them on that wall okay so and when someone sees your your art on their wall they never forget you that's how you get the air to air so you have to do all those things so you can make the the beautiful print to hand it to that pilot or the plane owner then you go air-to-air air because if you have to pay for air-to-air, air, you're talking a minimum, a minimum of 2000 bucks an hour, right? And if you're in the business of photography, nothing's going to no, – no article, no book's going to pay you 2000 bucks an hour to go take those pictures. So how are you going to go do it? you got to figure out – you could say on somebody else's dime. That means you have to be a really good printer. How do you become a really good printer? You become a really good printer by taking classes at Fort Worth Camera, and you get your Epson P800, and you learn how to print. So now that printer, right, is the $1,000 investment in printer is going to put out prints that's going to get you a $2,000 an hour ride. So all of that has to go into that process of getting to air-to-air. And once you're in air-to-air, you're hooked. There is nothing like an air-to-air event. Nothing in, in my life, nothing in, in photography that I know about. Because it's just an incredible experience. And it's a real high when you come down. Because when it comes to a fan base, pilots are going to be your biggest fan. They're gonna, they're, they come to your camera so fast that when you get down they want to see on the back of your LCD. They want to see and then they go, can you send it to me? And within seconds, they're sending it to the, the, their hundreds of friends. And what happens when a pilot sends your picture to a hundred of their friends who are also pilots? What happens? You just got a whole whole lot of people who want to use your services
0: man i'm so glad you brought up printing because that is the uh, in my opinion, the most important part of photography is actually commemorating on a, a a tangible version of your image, and I wish we had more time to talk about that and I wish we had more time to talk about your wildlife photography, but you came from the the west coast cradle of photography all the way to fort worth texas and i have one final question for you what's that does
1: fort worth ever cross your mind does Fort? you know uh, so you quick get, you quick get, quick you, question do you, do you get the joke or answer Adler? so i live in a place which has lots of second homeowners right there are <laughs> okay. lots of lots <laughs> okay. of homes that's that are empty most of the time so i'm on the road about eight to nine months out of the year so I travel everywhere. I'm very fortunate. So coming to Texas, I come quite often, and I'd be happy to come back to Fort Worth, Texas. Maybe we can come back here and we do a printing workshop, and we, get, we sit there and tell people, explain how to print, not just to make a pretty print, but what's a clean black? What's a clean white? How do you make a print that sits there and people grab that and go, wow, I can feel like I'm there? Because that's what the print should do. All right.
0: What do you think of Fort Worth? Do you think of printing your images i guess that's why we'll have to end that by the way that was a joke are you familiar with george Strait's uh catalog of work no okay well there's a song called does forward ever cross your mind
1: oh i'm sorry that's okay i'm still i'm still locked on billy bobs
0: now this was a funnier answer anyway, oh, okay so. thanks for joining us moose peterson
1: thank you mckenzie for having me
0: This podcast has been a presentation of Fort Worth Camera with locations in Fort Worth, Texas and Grapevine, Texas. The engineer is Greg Woods. I'm your host, Mackenzie Hughes. Please visit us at Fort Worth Camera.